You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you today. Sorry I'm having to interrupt your conversations, but my name is Jake Box, and I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown Church, and I'm really excited about our time together. I want to make sure we got time to get into the Word today. So uh, before we do so, let me ask you a question. Uh, need a little audience participation here. Uh, how many of you have, have ever been or currently are in a long-distance relationship? Raise your hand. Long-distance relationship. Man, that's a lot of us. Those are the worst, aren't they? Man, it's just terrible. Like, I just hate that when Krista and I... Um, when Chris and I were dating, so we, we, we met at A&M, we dated our, our senior year, and then uh, we, we went, after graduating in May, we went back to our hometown. So Krista moved back in with her parents. Uh, she was doing her student teaching in Houston, and I moved back to Austin and started working for my home church there. And so we're, she's in Houston, I'm in Austin, and then that summer we got engaged. And so for the entire duration of our engagement, we lived in two different cities, Houston and Austin. And and uh, so for about 10 months, we were separated long distance. And it was terrible. It was just, it was the worst. And of course, we talked on the phone all the time. You always do that in your long distance relationship, which I don't know about you, but like, I hate talking on the phone. Like, it's like, it's miserable, but you still want to talk and like, you can't not talk. So, and, and then like, I just wore out the road between Austin and Houston, right down 290, just straight to her house and just, just so often I'm going there. Because when, when you are in love with someone, all you want to do is to be with them, right? And when you're in love with someone, all you want to do is, is be with them. Well, guys, the Apostle Paul, he felt that way about Jesus. I mean, I've just really been struck by uh, as we've studied the book of Philippians, which is a series that we've been in for uh, many weeks now. We're going to have two more weeks after this Sunday. But uh, throughout this book, it's just jumped out to me on the pages is how much Paul wanted to be with Jesus because he loves Jesus. And because when you love someone, you just want to be with them. And it makes sense when Paul's writing. He says stuff like this in chapter 1. He says, uh, in light of the fact that, remember, he wrote this while he's in prison. And he knew that like, he's facing his uh, impending, his pot- potential execution for telling people about Jesus. But throughout this book, he's, he's not down. Like, there's not a somber tone in the book of Philippians. It's full of rejoicing. You think, well, why is that? It's because throughout this, you see Paul saying, man, for me, to, to die is gain. See, to die is gain because he goes on in chapter 1 says, I desire to, 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 to uh, depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. <laughs> He's like, man, the idea of, of if, if, you know, if they take my head, you know, that's actually to my game. I'm, I'm okay with that because I finally get to be with the one I love. I finally get to be with Jesus. It's better by far. It's why in chapter 3, we talked about a couple, couple weeks ago, he says, like, for me, like, to experientially knowing Jesus, not just, you know, not just knowing about him, but like, knowing him, <laughs> compared to that, everything else is just garbage. 
Like, I mean, there's just nothing compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything else, you've just, I'm happy to let it go, to lose it on the sake, for the sake of Christ. Like, it's just, that's who I love. That's who I want to be with. That's why the passage Justin taught last Sunday, he says this. He says, here's the one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind, I'm straining toward what is ahead. I'm pressing on towards the goal to win the prize. And the goal, the, the prize, is knowing Jesus. It's being with Jesus. He says, this is the one thing I do. I just all I want. See, <laughs> Paul radically loved Jesus. And as a result, he really wanted to be with Jesus. That's the other reason why, it's an, it, that's the reason why um, throughout this book, and we really haven't like hit on it real strongly as we've done this series, but it's worth mentioning, he, he repeatedly talks about the day of Christ. I don't know if y'all have been picking up on that as we've been reading this and studying this together, but over and over again, he talks about the day of Christ. Well, the day of Christ was, is, a, is, a, is a technical term that would speak of Christ's second coming, that when Jesus returns and he calls to himself all those who belong to him, it's when we get to, we, everyone that belongs to Jesus gets to be with Jesus. It's the day of Christ. And in chapter 1, Paul mentions the day of Christ two times. And in chapter, in, in chapter 2, he mentions it again. And in chapter 3, he alludes to it three times. Like, it's on his mind. He is constantly thinking about the day when he's going to get to be with Jesus, when he is going to stand face to face with his Savior, when he's with Jesus. This is what he's thinking about. This is what he, you could say, like, obsessively. This is what is driving him. One of the main things that drove Paul on his love for Jesus was the, the knowing, okay, I'm going to live for him because one day I'm going to be with him. I'm going to stand face to face with my Savior. He thought about it all the time because when you're really in love with someone, you want to be with them. Now, here's what's interesting to me. I've never met anyone who is as fascinated with, as fixated on being with Jesus as what Paul comes across here in this passage. I've met a couple people who come close, but most of the time, it, no, no, like this is like just foreign for us. I mean, think about it personally. How often do you think about, if, if ever, the day when you're going to stand face-to-face with Jesus Christ? I mean, how, how often do you think about and long for and live in light of being with Jesus? Now, if you're you know, here today, you're exploring faith in Christ, you're, you're not a Christian, you're not following Jesus yet, you're kind of checking this out. And I'd understand if you didn't think about that very often. That wouldn't make sense. But the sad thing is, Christians, we rarely think about that very often. And that doesn't make sense. Because the scripture is full of the promise that one day we will be with Jesus. And if we are to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, you would think we would long to be with the one we love. And yet so often we don't even think about it, much less live in light of it. Why is that? There's lots of reasons, I think, for why that's the case. I think tangibly one of the reasons is because it feels far off and distant and you can't see Jesus. He's invisible. 
and all that stuff, and you think, yeah, it's just easy to get fixated on what's tangibly in front of us. When we think about our jobs, we think about our families, we think about our responsibilities, and, and you're just caught up in thinking about the things of this world. And if we're going to look forward to something, we're going to look forward to the weekend, or we're going to look forward to the next time we have some downtime, or that vacation. It was rarely that we're going to get our eyes up enough to think about eternity and being with Jesus. Like that, that, it makes sense, and yet at the same time, it doesn't make sense. Because that's promised to us. We're going to see him. We're going to be with him. We're going to see him face to face. What, friends, could help us live in light of that day? What will help us long for that day? What will help us even love Jesus even more so that we want that day? Well, that's what Paul gets into in this passage that we're going to look at this morning. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. We're going to wrap up chapter 3. In Philippians, finally, we've been like four, four messages in chapter 3, but it's so good. Um, so we're going we're gonna to look at that passage. So if you will, go, go there, Philippians 3, 17 through 21. I also have the words to follow along of the screen with me. But um, in this passage, what we're going to see is Paul's going to point us to something tangible because we need something tangible. I think one of the reasons why we fail to, you know, fixate and, 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 and live in light of being with Jesus because it, it, does, it feels intangible. It's like we need tangible things that will help us long for that day and live in light of that day and love Jesus so much we want that day to come. And so he says, Here, here's what you need, friends. Verse 17. He says, Join together and following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have uh, us as a model... Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. See, Paul had just talked about how like, nothing compared to knowing Jesus, right? And how he just is, all he wants is to know Jesus, and I'm just fixated on Jesus. And then he says, okay, here, here, here's, if, you, if, if you're going to be like that, here's what you need to do. Follow my example. Follow my example. Brothers and sisters, follow my example. Model your life after us. Now, the us in this passage is Paul and Timothy. If you remember all the way back to Philippians 1, the, this letter is addressed from Paul and Timothy. So he says, follow your life after me. Follow your life after me and Timothy. Follow your life after us. Now, <laughs> when you hear that, chances are that rubs you wrong. Because, um, you know, it really pushes against two things that we value as a, as a society, as a culture. The, the, the first thing is this, that we... Um, uh, don't like being told to follow someone else because we really highly value our freedom to figure life out on our own. Like we're so individualistic in our culture, and we know that about ourselves, right? It's like, you know, you know I, I'm going to find my own way. And that's, we think, oh, that's so good. But, but Paul's saying here, no, 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 don't, don't find your own way. Follow me. <laughs> Do, here, just get in line right, right here. And we think, oh, man, that. That, ugh, I don't know if I really like that. In addition, we don't really like it because this is so arrogant sounding, isn't it? Like, follow my example. You want to love Jesus? You want to live in light of him? Just do what I'm doing. It's like, oh, man, yeah, you arrogant jerk. Um, now, it's helpful to remember on that point that, like, just a couple statements before this, it's what Justin was teaching on last week, he had just finished saying, and I'm not perfect. Like, there's this goal that I'm reaching for, and I haven't obtained it yet. 
I'm not there. I'm not where I want to be in my knowledge, uh, my spiritual knowledge, my, my relationship with Jesus. I'm not there. So he, he just said, like, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm not telling you, like, follow my example because I've arrived and you should just do exactly, just exactly what I'm doing. That's not his posture here. This, see, friends, this is not a statement made from a point of arrogance. This is a statement made out of care. And the reason it's made out of care is because Paul knows something, and he knows something that we all really do know. And that's, <laughs> we greatly benefit from getting to learn from others. Like, that's helpful in anything. When we can actually learn, not just from what people say, but actually get to see how they live, flesh it out, make it tangible, make it practical, that's a great benefit and so Paul says, here, here, I know I've said a lot in this book so far. You want to know what it looks like? Follow my example. Here, I'll, I'll be the practical living out of that. Timothy, he, he'll be the practically living out of that. We'll flesh it out for you. Um, I've uh, shared this story before, and, and, uh, but at risk of repeating myself, I'll do it again because it's pretty fitting and it's also funny. I get a kick out of it. But... Um, a couple years ago, we had a student, a college student at Midtown uh, named Neil, and uh, I had a chance to disciple Neil for a couple years and love this guy. Neil came from a broken home, and he, uh, so he had lots of questions over the years. Of, like, what does, it, what does it look like? You know, what does your Christmas marriage look like? What's a biblical marriage look like? What's, what does it look like to parent? Like, how do y'all parent? And how does the Bible say to parent? And just, you know, which are kind of interesting questions for, you know, a junior in college to be asking. Like, how do you be, you know, how do you be a good parent? But um, the, he was just that kind of guy. He just wanted to know. He was very inquisitive. And so we spent a lot of time looking at what God said about this stuff. And I would share from my life. But finally, Neil just says, hey, Jake, I, I know this is probably weird. But um, can I spend the night at your house? And specifically, I'd like to spend the night at your house on a school night because I want to see what it looks like when the kids come home and they do their homework and y'all do dinner together and you do bedtime together and what do you and Krista do? And I'm like, well, I don't know about that part. But um, it's like, <laughs> then he said, I want to be there in the morning. I want to see breakfast and I want to, I want to see devotion. Like, do you do a devotion? I just want to see what, because at my home, it was either two things. It was either we are at each other's necks or we're, in, we're out of each other's lives, so we're just siloed in our own rooms. I, I've, heard what it, I've heard what it looks like. Can I see it? So I told Krista, and she's like, man, that's kind of weird, but sure. And Neil came, and he spent the night with us on, a, on like a Tuesday night. <laughs> and he just observed it. And, it's not, and we said, okay, yeah, come, come look at, learn from our example. Not because we feel like we're perfect parents. Or we have the perfect marriage. I mean, we have a lot of room to grow in both of those areas. But at the same time, we're trying to follow Christ in those areas. And we know that there's benefit from not just hearing what it looks like, but seeing what it looks like. And so Neil came and, and he said it was really helpful for him. That's Paul's heart here. He says, you've, you're hearing what I say it looks like to really love Jesus to be taken by the surpassing worth. There's nothing better than knowing him. And you see him made longing to be with him, but are you hearing me? This longing to be with him, but here, here you want to know what it looks like? Look at, look at me. Look at Timothy. Make it tangible. That will help you. Now, here's the thing. We can't look at Paul 
right, <laughs> any longer. He's not a tangible example. For those in Philippi, he was. They knew him. But for us, it's like, you've been dead for thousands of years. So that's not real helpful. But um, we can still learn from him, right? And that's what we're doing as we study Philippians. We are seeing his life lived out. We could see him as an example, and that's good. We should do that. But then we also need to do what he says right here. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. And so we see in Paul, okay, here's what, it, what we're told to live like. Now we begin looking for those in our lives right now who are living like that. Keep your eyes on them, he says. Set your eyes on fine people who are living as godly examples. And then fix your eyes on them. Keep your eyes on them. See, Paul, Paul is getting at this principle, and I, I think it's powerful. I'll try to put it in a way that might stick with you a little bit, but it's this. He, he would say, um, Paul knows where, where we keep our eyes will greatly impact how we live our lives. Paul knows that where we keep our eyes will greatly impact how we live our lives. And so he says, keep your eyes on those who are living as we do. It will help you. And then he also says, it's really important to do this because there are many who live in a completely different way. Unless you're intentional about keeping your eyes on those who love Jesus and want to be with Jesus and are living in light of the day that you will be face-to-face with Jesus. If you don't, then you'll just get swept up by the examples of many who live contrary to that. So you got to be intentional. you got to pay attention where you're keeping your eyes because it's going to greatly impact how you live your lives. See, and the passage continues in uh, verse 18. Let me just start again at 17 and see the, so you can see the flow here. But he says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do for. As I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame, and their mind is set on earthly things. See, Paul is saying, if you're not intentional about who you're modeling your life after, then chances are you'll be influenced by the many who live as enemies of the cross. Now, let me explain what that means, because that's a strong statement, right? Like, well, who are you talking about, Paul? Um, Someone who's an enemy of the cross of Christ is, is anyone, and let me hear, hear, hear me say that again, it's anyone, Christian or someone who's not a Christian. It's, it's anyone who uh, is not living in a way that conforms to Jesus' sacrificial service on behalf of others. I have it up here just so you can like get this a little bit more clear on for you. That an enemy of the cross of Christ, anyone who's not living in a way that conforms to Jesus' sacrificial service on behalf of others. That this is, uh, he says, living as an enemy of the cross. So it's not that you are. This is not a, like a state of identity. This is a pattern of life. Living as an enemy of the cross of Christ. Not lining with how Jesus lived when he went to the cross. You see, when Paul says the cross of Christ here, it's his callback to Philippians 2. 
This is what he had said earlier, that we as believers, our mindset should be that of Christ Jesus, who, you know, being God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but he humbled himself, he became obedient, you know, being, being made as a man, he became obedient to death. What? Even death on a cross. So that's the pattern. Humble, sacrificial service on behalf of others. You're an enemy to that, meaning you live contrary to that or opposed to that when you live prideful, self-serving, all-about-you kind of life. And Paul says, man, there are many who do that. And he says that through tears. It's interesting, most biblical scholars believe that the specific group that Paul had in mind when he wrote this were actually Christians, or at least people who call themselves Christians. That that's why he's having to warn the church in Philippi, don't follow their example, because they were around those people, and they would say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm one of you. And so you, they might think, okay, well, I'm going to fix my eyes on you to be my example. And Paul says, no, no, look at how they're living. Are they living as enemies of the cross? Then don't fix your eyes on them as your example of what it looks like. It's not going to serve you well. I've got a friend. I've got a friend that uh, is a believer. I mean, He's been a believer for years and years. He's walked with Jesus for, for many years. But he has started living as an enemy of the cross of Christ. And this friend, he, he doesn't go to our church. He's never been a part of our church. So I don't want you to start guessing. Like, I wonder who he's talking about. You don't know him, okay? But he's a good friend of mine. This, this friend, he, he decided, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do, if you go back, Claire, to the, to the passage, he said, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to, as an enemy across the Christ, and he would never call himself that. I mean, no one does that. I mean, no one as a Christian says, yeah, that's me. I'm an enemy across the Christ. It's like this is the way you're living. You might say something different about who you are, but it's the way you're living. And he's, this is how he began living. He, he began, he began uh, letting his appetite or his stomach be his God. That stomach there, literally in the Greek, is the word for appetite. It's, it's the idea of, I mean, whatever I desire, that's what I'm going to get. My God is whatever is my desires. So if I want it, I'm going to do it. If I want to eat it, I'm going to eat it. If I'm going to be, if I want to be there, I'm going to go be there. If I have to, if I want to buy it, I'm going to buy it. Like that's what tells me what to do is my appetite. And so he decided he wanted to just go do whatever he wanted to do. And it led to him having an affair. Paul says here, the result of enemies of, of living as enemies across the Christ is this. Uh, their destiny is destruction. And that word, that phrase there, destiny is destruction, the word destiny there just means the end result or the outcome. It's like this is what is the final product of living this way. And the word destruction there, sometimes in Scripture, actually points towards hell. But in this case, and in other cases in Scripture, that's, it only points to sub, the idea of like someone living a wrecked life. And I think that's how Paul is using it in this passage. He says, the, the outcome of living as an enemy of the cross of Christ, be prideful, selfish living, where your appetite is your God, then 
the end result of that is destruction. And I'll tell you, my friend, like it's, life, like it's just life is in shambles right now. This marriage is just broken. These kids are just devastated. I mean, everywhere you look, you just see destruction. And like, I get why Paul says, like, through tears, like with, literally, with weeping, I tell you, there are many who live this way. And he says, you need to be intentional, friends, about where you f- keep your eyes, who you set before yourself as an example, because you can just get caught up in this. See, because the other thing here is that it says their glory is their shame. And what that means is that the things that they currently glory in will be the things that when they stand face to face with Jesus, they will realize, man, they're the most embarrassed by. The things that they, they spent their lives chasing and pursuing and, and celebrating and like, look, at I'm somebody because I have this or I did this or I, whatever. It's like, no, no, no. They, what they glory in is ultimately going to be, it's going to be the thing that they're it brings shame on that day. A quote by Francis Chan has always stuck with me. He says, he says this. He said, um, Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. I think that that's kind of what it's getting after here. The glory is in their shame. But the problem is, friends, what people glory in and what our culture glories in, it's held up as like this is really what is worth boasting in. It's easy for us to start getting our eyes on those things because we think that's really where life is. And it's having that nice car or living in that perfect house or climbing the corporate ladder or going on those extravagant trips or whatever it is, we think, yeah, that's good. That's the good stuff. I'm going to fix my eyes on people who are like that, that I could be like that so I could do what they're doing. He says, the result of all that is that you set your mind on earthly things. You set your mind on earthly things. And you just, just zero in on here. What your desires want, your appetites leading you to go. If you're just going to get that stuff, you're going to live for this life as if this is all there is. But friends, this is not all there is. So Paul says, you've got to be careful where you keep your eyes. Who you're looking to, to tangibly flesh out how to live. You've got to find people. Her living, in fact, in light of the fact, this is not all there is. Verse 20, Paul says it this way. Look, look, don't do this. Don't set your mind on earthly things because you're a citizen of heaven. So you're a citizen of heaven. And we eagerly wait a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. See, Paul says, don't set your mind on earthly things because that is not who you are. There's an identity statement made here. You are a citizen of heaven. Our citizenship is in 
heaven. And the reason that your citizenship is in heaven is if you placed your trust in Jesus alone to save you from the just penalty of your sins. And you've trusted in his death as your substitute and in his resurrection as your savior from death itself. Then you are, in that moment of faith, a citizen of heaven. Meaning, heaven is where you belong because Jesus is to whom you belong. And you belong to Jesus, you belong to be with Jesus. And wherever Jesus is, that's heaven. When he shows up on earth, he says, the kingdom of heaven has come near. They hadn't spread through everyone yet, but it's come near because I'm God. And we go, you put your faith in Christ, you're adopted to his family, you belong in heaven. That's your new home, that's your citizenship. So Paul would say, instead of setting your mind on earthly things, in Colossians, another letter that he wrote, he says this. He says, man, let's set our, our mind, let's set our hearts on heavenly things, on things above. In fact, here's what he says. He says, uh, set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Like you died when Jesus died on the cross for you. Your old self, when you trust in him, your old self died with him. And now you are, you're born again. You are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And now you're hidden in Christ. This is who you are. And because this is who you are, this is where you're now from. Your citizenship is in heaven. So do not just set your mind on earthly things. It doesn't, it doesn't add up. It's not in line with who you are. And because we have now something so much better to set our minds on than what this world just has to offer us. We have so, something so much better to set our mind on. Like Paul says, here's what we can set our mind on. Jesus is going to return. And so we, we eagerly await. If you go back to that passage, Claire, I know I'm all over the place. But if you go uh, back to Philippians, he says, so the, and I can, there it is. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is what we can set our minds on. One day Christ is going to return. And again, we're going to see him face to face. We're going to be with him. And so this is what I'm going to be thinking about. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. I'm going to get to be with the one I love. My Savior. I'm going to get to see him. When I pray, like prayer is good. Talk on the phone when long distance relationship. Talk on the phone is good. It's better than nothing. Prayer is good. Prayer is Better than nothing. But man, I just want to, I want to see him. And one day I'm going to see him. And I'm going to talk to him. He's going to talk right back to me. We're going to have a conversation with God. I want that day. We fix our mind on something so much better. The God of the universe is coming. We can also fix our mind on the hope that is to come. We set our mind, our heart on the, on the things above. We're, we're, we're setting our mind and our heart on the hope that is to come. And here's the hope. That Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And this is just, this is just one aspect of the hope that we have to come. I, guys, I know that heaven and like the 
new heavens and new earth. Like, I know that's the most misunderstood place in all of the world, or I should say existence, right? Um, and people, when they think about heaven, most people just don't get excited. It's just like, oh, man, it's just a uh, never-ending worship service in the sky. Like, that sounds terrible, right? <laughs> I'm a pastor, and I would say, yeah, that, that sounds terrible. Like, I'm at least let us get out for lunch, right? Like, come on. Because <laughs> that's not what heaven is described as. That heaven is the place where our relationship with God is, it, 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 the best word to describe it is the Jewish word shalom. It's whole and full of joy and peace. And our relationship with one another is shalom. It's whole and full of joy and peace. And it's our relationship with the environment is shalom. It's whole and it's full of joy and peace. And our relationship even to our own self is shalom. It's whole. And it's full of joy and peace. That we will have, uh, he will transform our lowly bodies so they'll be like his glorious body. Like where your body is breaking down, won't be breaking down. Where your body is fighting against itself. I want to be kind. No, I want to lash out. I want to be selfless. No, I want to be selfish. Like that kind of inner, that we all live with, gone. We all want that. We all want to be in a place where everything is at peace and full of joy, where things are whole, that they're no longer broken. And Jesus says this, when he speaks of the new heavens and new earth, he says, book of Revelation, I'm making all things new. I'm making all things new. Notice, he doesn't say, I'm making all new things. He's not saying, okay, I'm starting all over again, and you don't have any idea what the next thing's going to look like because it's going to be completely different. No, he says, no, I'm making all things new. So we will have bodies. They're just going to be as they were supposed to be. They're going to be glorious. We're going to have earth. It's just going to be as it was supposed to be. It's going to be glorious. We're going to have relationships it's just going to be that they're supposed to be. We're going to be in a relationship with God. Just it's going to be the way it's supposed to be. Because this is what we have to look forward to. Let us set our minds on things above. It's so much better. And while we wait, full of hope based on what's to come, eagerly anticipating the day where we get to be with Jesus, let us live as heavenly ambassadors. So you see, in 2 Corinthians 5, we're told that one of the results of being reconciled to God through faith is that you become a new creation with a new identity, and one aspect of your identity is that you are the ambassador of Christ. Now, an ambassador is just a representative of a country to a foreign place. Well, as citizens of heaven... That's our role, that we clearly are not in heaven yet. But that's where we're from. That's where our address is. That's where you belong, and that's where you're headed. But until you're there, you're here as an ambassador, representing your king, Jesus, and the place that you're from. 
And so as an ambassador, a heavenly ambassador, as we await Jesus' return with eager anticipation, as we are filled with hope of what's to come, we seek to give people now a taste of where we're from, a picture of where we're from and how we relate to them. And how we relate to our environment. How we relate to our God. We say here, we can't do it perfectly, but that's what we're aiming for. To give our neighborhoods and our dorms and our study groups and our co-workers a picture of this beautiful world. And allow God to make his appeal through us so that others can be reconciled to God too. So that they can be a part of it as well. And I'm thankful I'm thankful for Paul's example. And I'm thankful for the example of many people in my life who have helped me get a picture of what that actually looks like. Because listen, living that way, with that eager anticipation of Christ's return, with the hope filled of what's to come, and living as a heavenly ambassador, it's not normative. See, there are many who live as enemies of Christ, of the cross of Christ. And so we got to, as Paul says in this passage, we've got to keep our eyes on people who flesh this out for us because that will help us because where we keep our eyes will greatly impact how we live our lives. So it matters. And so, friends, like, I've spent a lot of time yesterday just thanking God for specific individuals in our church because we have people here. No one here is perfect, but we have a number of people in this church family that are setting this kind of example for us. great risk of making them very uncomfortable. Like I, I was, just to name a few, I was thinking about Pete and Karen Craycroft. And I was thinking about David and Kristen Cochran, who for over a decade is through Hill Country UT and into Midtown, have faithfully served this church family, making disciples and pointing people to Jesus and helping them love Jesus more and long for his coming and to keep their eyes off of just earthly things, but to remember and set their mind and hearts on heavenly things. Like they've given themselves to that and they've done that in a church family that doesn't have a lot of people that are their age, a lot of peers. And they have sacrificed that because one day they're going to stand before Jesus and they want to glory in the thing that has brought him glory. And so they said, no, it's worth it. It's worth sacrificing that for. See, on the day when I stand before Jesus, it's going to be all worth it. And because that's the way they're living, we can say, fix your, keep your eyes on them. I think about, well, I don't have time. I, I could go on and on and on. But here's the thing. Who are you keeping your eyes on? There's only you know, three answers. Like, either like, well, nobody, and really if you say nobody, then you just mean kind of the current of life because it's, it's not like you're unaffected by anybody. Or you're going to keep your eyes on people who are not living like Christ or you're going to keep your eyes on people who are in love with Jesus and taken by knowing Jesus and longing for Je to be with Jesus. Who are you keeping your eyes on? Like, who? 
It doesn't have to be one person. It can be a couple people. It can be a group of people, but there has to be names to those people. Like, who are those people? It matters, friends. It's who you keep your eyes on. It will greatly impact how you live your lives. Who are you keeping your eyes on? And the second question for you is, what are you keeping your eyes on? Who and what? Who and what as far as on earthly things or on things above? As we have a great hope, and in Christ we have incredible hope of what's to come. We have known, <laughs> we have, the words fail, but we can get so easily distracted. We need help. We need people who are making it tangible. Will you set your eyes on people who are living this way? That's my challenge to you. Um, our midtown communities and our huddles, guys, that's the most practical step for you to take. If you're not in an embassy, if you're not in a huddle, that's where you're going to find people that can really greatly impact you and influence you. It's where you can find the people who you should keep your eyes on. If you're interested at all in being a part of an MC, which is what meets kind of weekly, it's a group of about 15 to 20 people that are helping each other follow Jesus, sign up for that on your connection card or on the app. Or if you're interested in just being discipled, sign up for a huddle. We'd love to, we'd love to get you connected in that way. Okay, we're going to end by taking communion. And, and um, when we take communion, friends, we're remembering the very thing that Jesus did to make it possible for us to be citizens of heaven. We're remembering Jesus' death on our behalf, and he died for us so that our sins could be forgiven and we can be reconciled to God and be promised to be with him forever. And it's because of what Christ did for us and our faith in him that when we hear that Jesus is returning, we can be excited about that and not shrink back because we are in him because of what he did. I think about what Jesus said on the night that he had the Passover meal with his, believer, uh, with his disciples. He said this. He says, Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And then this statement is added. For whenever you eat this bread... And drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, he's going to come. Let's rejoice in what he did to make it possible for us to be reconciled to him. And let's take this cup, let's take this bread, and let it remind us he's coming again. Let's set our eyes on that. Let's set our minds on that. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, would you... Would you do that in our lives? God, will you move us to fix our eyes on things to come, God, heavenly things, on Jesus and being with him? And God, would you move each one of us to fix our eyes, to keep our eyes on specific people who are living as a good example, someone who desperately loves Jesus and wants to be with Jesus in a set hard on following Jesus' example of sacrificial servant 
humble service. God, would you grow that in us for your glory? Jesus, thank you for dying for us. When we didn't deserve it, when we were living as enemies of the cross of Christ, you served us. Your body was broken for us, your blood was spilled for us that we can be brought in. And you've made us citizens of heaven. For that, God, we rejoice and we praise you now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.